Hey, good morning and welcome back to Coffee with Coasties. I'm your host, Joe Nemeth. I've got my co-host here, Kelsey Sider. Hey, hey. And in the studio today, we've got a special guest, Nick Chikino. How you doing, Nick? Doing terrific. It's great to be here. Good. So first things first, Nick, how do you take your coffee? Uh, my coffee comes just with a light cream. Light cream. All yeah. right. I like it. So it's been a little while since we've done an episode. So for all of our followers out there, we apologize, but the world gets busy and a lot of things going on, and we have to work our real jobs on occasion. So we're glad to be back. Kelsey's been working really hard behind the scenes. i got to give a shout-out to my main man, Mr. Barry, who makes all this stuff work magical behind the scene. But let's dive right into today's episode. So, Nick, tell us about uh, how long have you been in the auxiliary? Uh, going on a little over 12 years now, Joe. Okay, very cool. So where do you serve at? Which flotilla are you a member I'm with uh, Flotilla 10-1 over here at Wrightsville Beach. So 054-10-01. All right. Very cool. So, Nick, you carry you have a lot of different jobs on the division level and on the flotilla level. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Tell us a little bit about what you do there. Well, I've served on uh, in multiple FSO positions and both in SO div- uh, positions at the division level. Um, currently I'm serving as the division SO HR human resources. I'm also serving as the FSO or flotilla staff officer for human resources. Very cool. Very cool. So you're the man to see if any of our listeners want to join the auxiliary. That's correct. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to emphasize, I think all of our members, uh, at 10 one, have done a magnificent job in the past of getting the word out and and clearly articulating to people that are interested in the auxiliary what the steps are, how to join, and getting them involved. Uh, so the biggest recruiting factor is our membership overall. Very good. Very important point. So, Kelsey, fill us in here, like cliff notes, what the auxiliary does and how it augments active duty. Give us a little, like, spill. A little spiel, a little spiel. Let's see. Uh, so there are so, there's some overlap in what we can assist with the active duty and um, you know reservists. Some of that can be radio watch standing, uh, container inspections, uh, cook cook duties, food services, that type of thing. Um, but uh, the other thing is is that you know there there's so many missions that the Coast Guard has. And some of those are specifically reserved for auxiliaries, so like our public education and stuff. That's a duty that's uh, that's kind of set aside just for the auxiliary. Um, but yeah, I mean, we there are a lot of opportunities and, and reasons why we would either you know shadow or just provide support. Uh, some of that can be even um, acting as um, the uh, you know like providing some financial you know there talking about need, in need of uh, financial advisors and stuff like that. And bra- basically bringing some of that, you know, I don't want to say like real world, like Coast Guard isn't real world, but bringing some of that outside Coast Guard world uh, experience into the Coast Guard in order to assist uh, personnel. And that can be in uh, career development inside the Coast Guard or maybe when they're leaving the Coast Guard on, you know, and kind of, uh, you know, in a way kind of mentoring or just, bringing some different types of services in. Absolutely. You, you you hit the nail on the head when you said outside of the Coast Guard experience coming in because it's such a diverse group of active duty and reservists and civilian 
personnel within the Coast Guard. The auxiliary just comes in and fills that gap. So, Nick, one of the things that we've heard about is the RNS inspections at station on Fridays. Um, you were involved in that for a while. Tell yes. us a little bit about the RNS inspections. Yeah, well, the RNS uh, inspections uh, serve, I, I, I don't know, personally, I think they serve myself and, of course, the United States Coast Guard in many ways. But I would like to just highlight that uh, being, being a, a person that comes in and inspects the gear that our Coast Guard personnel wear out there on the water and, and so forth, um, I really feel confident um, that inspecting that stuff makes them more confident than when they have to put on that vest and respond to a search and rescue or to an emergency right away. They know that that gear has been inspected and is working highly the way it's supposed to. Um, so that, that gives us a lot of pride. The second thing I might take away personally is I love the interaction I have over there on Fridays with the United States Coast Guard and the uh, personnel in charge, whether it be the senior chief or the chief, um, in this case, Chief uh, Senior Chief Miller and, of course, uh, Chief Gazillo. And I built up a relationship with them. Um, they always come out and want to find out what's happening with us and how they can support us and, and vice versa. And I think while we're completing those inspections, uh, just that interaction is value beyond uh, for me personally. Yeah, it's it's building a good bridge and a good camaraderie there. But it's it's also a great checks and balances where, you know, auxiliarist is outside the station or coming in and checking that equipment to make sure it's up to speed. So it, it's a great example of just one of the few things. Uh, Phil, when he was in studio, was telling us about food services and yep. cooking and all that kind of stuff. So it's just one of the little pearls an auxiliarist can have where they can make a big difference. Um, speaking of making a difference, i got to give a shout-out to Tom Fisk, who just retired from the auxiliary after 20 years' service. Um, even more impressive than the hours that Mr. Fisk logged in and all the years that he worked as watch standing at Station Riceville Beach is that his total service with auxiliary, active duty military, and as a federal government employee is 71 years of service to this country. Wow. That's unbelievable. phenomenal. That's incredible. Unbelievable. I can't, I've never heard of anything that in my life, you know, joined at 18 years old. So he's just shy of 90 now with 71 years of service. So bravo Zulu to him. I mean, outstanding work. Can you imagine, to, like, just the, the technology changes and the changes within, you know, uh, the different, between the different, you know. So I did the math in my head, right? Okay. Okay. <laughs> 71 right. years ago, Harry S. Truman was president. Wow. That, so think about all the changes in commander-in-chief since Harry Truman. And that's how long this guy has served his country. That's pretty impressive. Can I get a year reference? Uh, that, that would be, be 40. I really can't do math right now. I'm still, I'm still drinking <laughs> my coffee. <laughs> that was 1949. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. 1949. He joined the military right, in 1949. Okay. Wow. That yeah. is unbelievable. I, you know, I would like to make a comment on, on, uh, Mr. Fisk, because I think Tom's wonderful. I've had interactions with Tom over the years when supporting the Coast Guard on operation missions, <clears throat> excuse me, on the water. Um, when he's at the watch stand and, you know, he does such a wonderful job on checking our status every 30 minutes. And, you know, if we have to radio in for anything, especially when we're doing training missions, which I, I wanted to support as well, 
that the auxiliary provides the Coast Guard when they're wanting to do towing training or any kind of training or breaking in new coxswain, uh, we're available with our vessels to support that. And uh, I think that means a lot to the United States Coast Guard. It means a lot to us in that, you know, we get to observe firsthand, um, you know, what I would call exceptional training on the water, which is awesome. Absolutely. And the two-boat training is definitely very important right. for active duty, reserve, and auxiliary to get that time. So, Nick, what do you see as your future in the auxiliary? You know, 12 years in... Obviously, COVID has hit, so we all have to wear right. these funky masks and, yep. and all the social protocol and distancing and all that. So, but what do you what are you seeing for Nick in the future in the auxiliary? Well, I look at it this way, Joe. You know, I've served as uh, vice commander for Flotilla Ten One. I've served as a flotilla commander for Ten One. Uh, like I said, various positions in uh, at the division level. I would I would say this though, and and I'll I'll move to the future, but. One thing I'd like to reflect on that I find invaluable with the Coast Guard Auxiliary is the training and development you get um, and the impact you have on fellow boaters out there on the water. I mean, I've served in public relations. I've served in teaching PE classes, uh, program visitations and going to marinas and so forth and getting the word out on how do we operate safely on the water. And that value that we bring to the public, to me, is so self-gratifying, it's unbelievable. So, and the training that you get, whether it's on the water training or the classes and courses that we take online, and I think are, are magnificent. I would just tell people that if you're interested in boating, you're interested in supporting the Coast Guard Auxiliary and having people boat safely out there and want to get start, state-of-the-art training, there's nothing better than a Coast Guard Auxiliary. That's what I've experienced. Um, on a go-forward basis, um, I love what I do. Uh, I, love, I love thinking um, that I have some impact on public safety out there on the water and also that I can support the military branch of the United States Coast Guard in an upstanding way. I feel really good about that. That's self-satisfying. And so my go-forward plans are to serve and work with our flotilla and and other members in our flotilla uh, to build on that and to, to continue to take our flotilla and our support of the Coast Guard Auxiliary to the next level, whatever that may be. And I know this COVID thing has set back a lot of things. and A lot of people are impacted by this, and it's unfortunate, but we got to deal with it. And at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do is encourage people to, especially auxiliaries, Take your classes, make sure your courses are updated, um, take the new pathogen course, you know, get all that behind you so that when we are free <clears throat> to move on, and we will be soon, I mean, this thing's not going to last forever, and we're going to have to move out there and, and engage. And when we get those orders to do that, I think we should all make sure we're well prepared to do so and to do so in a very safe and responsible manner. That's, that's kind of where I'm Good I'm point, headed. good point. So, Nick, you mentioned public relations and stuff like that. So tell us about your career before you got into the auxiliary, because I, I, I yeah. I've heard some good stories out of that, too. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I could go on and on with stories on that, but I spent 31 years, <clears throat> excuse me, straight from college. Yeah, I graduated from TCU, Texas Christian University. I was playing football, by the way, today. Yeah. Um, anyhow, so <laughs> I'm going to be watching that game later this afternoon. But, uh, so graduated from college. 
started with PepsiCo as a trainee, manager trainee, route manager in my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Worked my way through the company, spent 31 years there. Um, and I was in sales and marketing throughout my career operations a little bit. Um, and I finally concluded and retired from PepsiCo. And beverage, I was always in the beverage division. Um, had a lot of friends in the snack division, which was Frito-Lay, of course, and so forth, and some in the restaurant division. But I spent all my career in the uh, beverage division. And when I left the company, I left as the senior vice president in charge of our sales and marketing uh, for our distributors and bottlers across the U.S. Uh, and I was stationed in Chicago, or that's that's where we lived, uh, my wife and I, Sarah, for the last 18 years before we came to Wilmington. Um, but I would say that in, in that discipline and arena of business, which is highly competitive, you can imagine Pepsi versus Coke. I mean, it's the ultimate competitive game. So, you know, the forefront was always to be highly competitive, integrity in all decisions, especially when you're dealing with distributors and bottlers where that's their ownership, livelihood, et cetera, uh, and supporting their efforts to grow the business because the more they grew and the more Pepsi they sold, the more we as a company sold, concentrate to them and that's how the, the, the ball kind of rolls down the hill to make money um but at the end of the day i'd say that the three takeaways i took from pepsico and one of the biggest honors this was interesting that i received uh after i retired was our human resource department was having a, a retirement party for an individual and they invited me to this this is three years ago retirement human resource and our human resource department was first class, top of the notch, but very close-knit group. And I'll never forget when I showed up there, they said, you know, Nick Cicchino, you're the only sales guy that we invited to this party. <laughs> and I said, I'm not sure how to take that. Other than, <laughs> I guess I bailed you guys out enough. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but at the end of the day, uh, the disciplines I came away with from PepsiCo was, uh, for sure, uh, people. Um, any business. If you're managing a business or you're, you're running an outfit or a military, whatever, it's the people that make you successful. And unless you can support them and point the direction to success and support them, um, you're going nowhere as a leader. Secondly, uh, the other, one of the other disciplines I took, uh, I took away from them is the customer is always first. And, and I think in the Coast Guard Auxiliary, that applies to who is our customer? You know, really, our customer is the Coast Guard, uh, United States Coast Guard, and the public boating community. Those are our customers. And they should be a priority on top of the list of anything we do um, and never lose sight of that. And, and then the third takeaway was, you know, always in a positive way, make decisions that build your brand um, for the long haul. Yeah. You can make short-term decisions that destroy your brand and It'll cost you millions to try to get that back. Um, not too many companies have been successful that I know of that ruined their brand and came back without a lot of money, including our competitor Coca-Cola. When they switched brands to New Coke and thought the, the customer would accept it, they didn't. <laughs> yeah. It cost them tons of money to replace that with Classic. Um, and then the unfortunate Tylenol situation, which they came back um, after, after the uh, Tylenol, if you recall, years back, um, they had they had a problem with with the consumers um, on somebody I think pilfered their product or whatever I don't know all yeah. the details right now but what all I do know is 
that protecting your brand, and, and frankly, the United States Coast Guard Auxiliary and the United States Coast Guard are big brands. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. so you got to continue to protect and, more importantly, elevate those brands. Yeah. And something you're doing today. Yeah, I've This heard, whole thing is building our brand. Absolutely. I've heard time and time again from people like Phil and you that had sales experience that were like, yeah, the auxiliary is the easiest job I've ever had because I don't have to charge them for what I'm giving them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm giving them this information and this boating safety and I don't have to charge. So, yeah, I, you know, you, you wear, you have worn so many hats just in right. a short time that I've been involved uh, with the auxiliary that, you know, I don't really know what you're currently doing, but I know that you're probably going to be a good starting point, no matter yeah. what my question is. Exactly. Uh, so, and you know, I, you were uh, public affairs right. at Wrightsville beach before I took over. Correct. Um, and I, I learned a lot from you and looking at the program that you had and you really helped mentor me and, you know, and talking so much about the brand and the brand. And, you know, I, I've been involved with other marketing things and uh, just your experience. And again, we, you know, we talked, just a few minutes ago about that outside experience, you know, we bring into what we do inside the auxiliary. And I just know that that, you know, really helped, you know, kind of show that correlation of like, okay, this is what you might be used to, you know, seeing out here and this is how you can apply it in here. And I've just learned a lot from you. So, um, no, and I would say Kelsey, that's a great point, but I would also say that anybody that follows somebody in a position, whether you're an executive at PepsiCo or you're an executive anywhere or you're leading a group or you're, as you said, doing the public affairs position following me. Um, I think the most important thing is challenge the status quo. You did that. There are some things I was doing that you said, hey, you know, I think we can do it differently. And I applaud that because if we don't challenge the status quo following any position to build on that position, it'll never improve. So just to do the same old what everybody else did now, with that said, I always like to tell people or explain to people, hey, take the best practices, run with it, and then build on that. Absolutely. You know? So you did that, and you did it well, and I applaud you for that because some people, it's easy to get into a position and just do the same old routine, and quite frankly, that doesn't move the needle one iota. Yeah. Yeah. So Kelsey and I were talking earlier. You've got uh, quite the hobby that we hear about, and you've you've – done a lot of it what's that hobby kelsey that he's uh always swinging chasing some ball around or something it it involves some flat greens and hilly greens and like random sand and all this right no no that's right (laughs) so Uh, how many times a week do you play golf i play golf probably in fact i'm going out this afternoon with my wife sarah but usually about three to four days a week with the 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 folks my friends and I, i i play golf with over here in wilmington and and then I try to get out one day, so on the weekends. And then, you know, the other time is busy doing a lot of different things. But yeah, yeah, you know, and you play a lot of golf with Coasties too, right? Like yes, I do. In fact, Chief and I'm actually going to play with uh, Chief Gazillo and some friends on the 17th uh, of October. Here, we're we're setting up a game, and and you know, it's funny you mentioned golf, but what's interesting about golf is along with boating, golf uh, is one of the sports that's on a huge uprise because for years golf was kind of being downplayed and uh, folks like Tiger Woods and I came into the scene and really revitalized it and, and, and followed Jack Nicklaus and Palmer and all them. But in today's world uh, with COVID, people are finding a lot of satisfaction on getting outside, outside, playing golf, riding their bikes, 
boating. Um, and those are all really good things, I think, during this pandemic that keep people active, keep them outdoors. And, and, and I just, I'm just, I'm a big advocate of it. I, I think, I mean, I've been playing golf since I was nine years old, went to Division One school on a golf scholarship for four years and played with the likes of, I don't want to go through all the names. So but, I don't uh, want to play that. you for money. Yeah. Uh, uh, no. Go ahead and do that right now. So you've brought Although us today's up. today's all for fun, Joe. Okay. Yeah. So you brought us up to our fun fact for today. Great transition. Um, to golfers around the world, he's simply known as the king. To those who know him best, he goes by Arnie. But from 1951 to 1953, Arnold Daniel Palmer answered to recruit and yeoman in the United States Coast Guard. Long before he was a household name and the first millionaire in golf, he was a member of the Coast Guard. Already well regarded as an amateur golfer while he was at Wake Forest, Palmer credits his service with helping him at a time when his life needed direction, and he has been very vocal about wishing more young Americans would join the military. Now, Arnold passed away in 2016 at the age of 87, but here are some of the attributes that the one-time Coastie brought to the world of golf. He turned amateur in 1954, or turned professional after winning a U.S. amateur in 1954. He won 92 professional tournaments worldwide, designed more than 250 golf courses. He was honored with more than 130 awards and distinctions, first golfer to be awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, second golfer to be awarded the Congressional Gold Medal, one of 13 original inductees into the World Golf Hall of Fame, 62 career PGA Tour wins, that's fifth most overall, seven career professional majors. He won seven majors from 1958 to 1964. He won the U.S. Amateur, the U.S. Open, and the U.S. Senior Open, first to win all three. Two-time PGA Player of the Year, four-time Varden Trophy winner, awarded the PGA Tour Lifetime Achievement Award in 1998. And he's one of the four players to win the Masters four or more times. And he's co-founder of the Golf Channel. However, his most notable achievement may be the drink that he gave to the world, the Honored Palmer. (laughs) No, that's so so funny. And you know what, Joe? I will make a comment on that because growing up in western Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh, and we all know uh, Palmer's from Latrobe, okay? So he was clearly any golfer or athlete, frankly, in that area. Arnold Palmer was one of your idols. And I had, the, I had the opportunity to meet Arnold several times, a couple times through my father and another time through a charity event that I played golf in. But the man was outstanding. I mean, you know, just the charismatic character who really put golf on the map. And then that, as we talk about building on things, you know, Palmer established golf and was one of the first on TV and all, all the fun things. And then came Nicholas and Nicholas built on that and, and, you know, that the game of golf really owes so much to him, Ben Hogan, all the uh, legendary guys. But, yeah, Palmer was a special guy. Absolutely. Especially from a Western Pennsylvania standpoint. Yeah, and you got you to gotta see the, the alignment right there with the two years he did in the Coast Guard and really bringing him into shape and, and getting him to the professionalism where he was. So I, think, I have to think running around doing drills and push-ups and all that stuff, he probably realized, wow, I do really want to play golf. <laughs> no, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Kelsey, what do you have for us in our history corner today? History corner today, you know, we're talking about uh, sports quite a bit. And my gosh, Nick, you're a sports guy. (laughs) There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. You're either uh, 
listening to the most uh, highlights from the most recent TCU game yeah. or the Steelers game. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so, and uh, anytime, you know, and I'm honestly, I'm surprised you're not wearing anything Steelers right now. Uh, oh, there it is. They're my mask. The mask. <laughs> that, yeah, it goes with everything now. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. So I was going to say, you know, if, if you're not in Coast Guard uniform, I usually see you decked out in Pitts, Pittsburgh right. gear. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's football season. Uh, you're a sports fan. So I thought we would talk about um, a Coastie that was involved with s- some sports. So born in 1921, Otto Everett Graham Jr. was an American professional football player who was a quarterback for the Cleveland Browns in the AAFC. And the, uh, well, yeah. Right. National Football League. Whatever. Right. Otto Graham. Yeah. So do you, I mean, do you, you remember Otto Graham? I, I never saw him play. I, I know the name, of course. He was a terrific quarterback um, way, way in the back when I think he played with our TCU legend, Sammy Baugh, back in those days. But uh, anyhow, no, that, he was an outstanding quarterback, though, yeah. Otto Graham. Yeah, so he's regarded as one of the most dominant players of his era, having taken the Browns to league championship games every year between 1946 and 1955, winning seven of them. Uh, with as quarterback, the Browns uh, posted a record of 57 wins, 13 losses. Could you imagine? I really can't imagine the yeah. Browns ever being that good, but okay, <laughs> they were. <laughs> and one That's time, why Cleveland fought so hard to keep them there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, including a 9-3 win-loss record in the playoffs. So I mean, they 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 were apparently at one point a dominant team. Definitely not in my era, but. Uh, while most of Graham's uh, statistical records have been surpassed in the modern era, he still holds the NFL record for career average yards gained per pass attempt with 8.63. So, wow. you know, you think about how many players have come since him. He, he's still holding on to one record. That's pretty cool. And I do know he is in the Hall of Fame for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, being a Steeler fan... Your comment on the Browns, I have to agree with. I can't remember that. No. All right, you Brown fans, I'm not going to go over the top. Don't All I know is we have six Super Bowl wins, but thank you very much. I'm okay. not going to say anything more. Hopefully we don't lose any listeners over yeah, this. Yeah. Uh, as America's involvement in World War II intensified uh, after uh, 1941 with the attack on Pearl Harbor, Graham signed up for service alongside many fellow student athletes entering the U.S. Coast Guard. He was able to stay at Northwestern as he waited to be called for active duty. And, uh, you know, while he was there, he, I think it was the, uh, the Wildcats up there. Right. Um, they, they, the, some of the players joined the war effort. Um, and because of that, they only won one game. So, um, you know, someone starting out in a football career, you know, that wasn't, wasn't the best, but Graham still had uh, 89 completions, setting a single-season passing record. Uh, Graham still had 89 completions and set a single-season passing record uh, in the Big Ten Conference. When Graham retired from football, he planned to focus on managing uh, the insurance and appliance business he owned. However, he signed on as an assistant coach for the college squad in the annual college all-star game. And that's apparently now a defunct exhibition contest between NFL champions and a selection of like best college players. Right. So, um, the you know from around the country and stuff. So the next year he was named head coach of the team, and with Graham coaching the All Stars in 1958, the team beat the Detroit Lions 35 to 19. Also, it's you know when you read that it's kind of like 
oh wow, they beat the Detroit Lions, but also I can't remember the last time the Detroit Lions were all that great. Yeah, that was going to say. So, <laughs> Surprise, surprise, surprise. Okay. Yeah. I think Hoggard beat the Detroit Lions one year, didn't they? Detroit fans, that's tough to take. I'm sorry. Uh, But following uh, the convincing win in the All-Star game, a friend of uh, Otto's helped him get a job as the head football coach for the Coast Guard Academy. Wow. Yeah. So uh, by then he was 37 years old. He was also named athletic director and given a salary, it put in quotes, in five figures. Wow. Five. <laughs> five figures. figures. Wow. I guess, I mean, that probably was a lot back then. It was. Sure. School officials said the hiring did not mean Coast Guard would go big time. <laughs> you know, uh, the Division three school played a relatively short schedule at the time against smaller schools in New England. Uh, but the Coast Guard had a 3-5 record in uh, Otto's first year as coach in 1959, but improved steadily over the ensuing three years. Uh, the team went undefeated in 1963, earning the Academy its first ever postseason bowl appearance. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Coast Guard lost to Western Kentucky 27-0. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> that was in the Tangerine Bowl. <laughs> mm. He continued to coach in the All-Star Game uh, while at the Coast Guard, and his college team beat Vince Lombardi's Green Bay Packers in a 2017 upset. Wow. Yeah. wow. So, you know, he, you know, in addition to the, you know, coaching at Coast Guard Academy, he was still coaching, you know, these, um, that exhibition team. Uh, he was offered coaching jobs in the NFL numerous times during his tenure at Coast Guard. Uh, but he said in 1964 that he was content to stay at the small school on a $9,000 salary. He said he deplored the, quote, win-at-all-costs philosophy, end quote, that was necessary to be successful in the professional ranks. So obviously this was just a guy who loved the game. Loved the game loved of football. The game. Yeah. Must have had an unbelievable knowledge that's, for no, football. That's, that's sure. really, I like that information. That's yeah. great. And in 1966, he left Coast Guard Academy after seven years to become head coach and general manager of the Washington Redskins, uh, now renamed Washington Washington Football Team. team. Uh, Graham's three seasons there from 1966 to 68 were unfortunately extremely unsuccessful. In 1974, uh, he was uh, named Coast Guard football coach once again, although he resigned two years later to focus on his duties as athletic director. Again, just someone who just enjoyed the game. Uh, in nine years of coaching, uh, his Coast Guard team had a combined record of 44-32-1. After eight more years at the school's athletic, as the school's athletic director, uh, Graham retired in 1984. So, and a fun fact, just to tie again back into your hobby, uh, Otto was also an avid golfer. And he partnered with uh, New York Yankees great Joe DiMaggio in numerous golf tournaments Jump later in Joe. life. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. That's Talk incredible. some sports. Felt good. I yeah. feel like it's no, officially that's, fall. That's, that's, back know, right? in the studio. Talking Kelsey, football. that's great information. In <laughs> fact, I'm hoping my next trivia game I play, Otto Graham comes up because I'll know a little bit about <laughs> it. You know about it. it. I should do all right there. You should the do other, good. Hey, the other comment I'll make real quick because you mentioned the name Vince Lombardi, and this goes back to everything we do. And, you know, I'm not one of these people that walks around with a book quoting things, but one of the best Vince Lombardi quotes that I recall that I used to use in business a lot of times, especially with my employees after they had a great success, not to downplay the success, but I would always say, hey, keep this in mind. You did a terrific job, but – 
nothing's more silent than yesterday's applause. So yeah. you got to keep pushing forward. Wow. And I think even moving. with this COVID and all chills. the things we're facing, <laughs> we got to continue to push forward and, and yeah. keep that in mind as we're bringing success stories to the world. Good point. Good point. So we're running tight on time here. We want to wrap things up, but Nick, what is a pearl or a takeaway you want to give to the boating public about boating safety? What's your pet peeve out there on the water for them? Yeah. You know, uh, Joe, there's so many, but one of the things that uh, retired senior chief Marshburn uh, talked to me about a couple years ago when we were going through the list of things that we want boaters to have an impact uh, and really understand one of the things he said, suggested, he goes, Nick, I want to make sure people that are going out fishing, whether half a mile, mile, whatever it is, uh, follow a float plan yep. with one of their local, their family, their comrades, people they know, so that if they do have distress out there, we know where they are or where they're going to be, and we respond a lot quicker, knowing that they're, they're fishing off, you know, 23-mile rock or, or, or they're going to be just off Figure 8 Island or wherever they're going to be, follow that float plan It'll add to your safety under any emergency. Absolutely. Very good point. Make sure you follow that float plan with a family member, uh, someone that you can trust that if you know, you're an overdue vessel, that they know where to start looking. Very important. Uh, I hear that time and time again and see that. And there's also uh, applications on smartphones that you can follow those with so that your family has a copy. Shoot, Great you point. could probably post it on your Facebook page. Hey, That's I'm right. going to the yeah. Six Mile Rock today Great to catch point. grouper. And if you don't show up... Everybody knows where to go, unless you're like me and you got four followers, but then there's four people that know where to look. But uh, Nick, thanks so much for coming in. You've been on our list since day one, and you were traveling, and we our schedules didn't link, but we really appreciate you coming in today and being a part of the show. Um, kudos to you for coming in. Thanks a lot. It's, it's great to be here, and I love the show. You yeah. Keep it going. It's great. All right. Thank you. And Kelsey, thanks for doing a good job. We'll see you guys on our next episode of Coffee with Coasties. Uh, like us. Follow us, send us your comments, suggestions for new episodes. We'd love to hear them, and we'll see you next time. Have a question or topic request? Reach out to us at www.coffeewithcoasties.com. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there.